Hey, this is Shane Valenstein, the pastor at City on a Hill Community Church. I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. I hope that this podcast helps you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at cityonahillmd.org. Enjoy the message. We're in the middle of our Boom Roasted series, and this month, simply what we're doing is this. We're answering questions. Um, it's kind of nice uh, that that w- I, someone said to me, um, oh, you're like crowdsourcing your sermon. I'm like, yeah, it kind of is like that. It kind of makes it uh, nice. But it doesn't mean that it's easier or less work for me. I think that it's probably more work, Nicole, doing it this way. But anyways, we received a lot of questions and a wide variety of questions over the last few weeks. And it's still not too late if you still want to submit some questions. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to get to all of the questions that have been submitted. We're going to try our, our best, um, but uh, we may not be able to answer all of them because we have received received a lot of them. But the reason why we're doing this is because we want to be a church that isn't afraid of your questions. We want to be a church that, that answers questions. We want to be a church that allows and accepts questions. Um, and now that doesn't mean that we have all the answers. It doesn't mean that I have all the answers or it doesn't mean that, I, that that we know everything, but it does mean that you are encouraged to voice your questions. I don't know if you if you grew up in a church that that didn't really allow questions or if you grew up in a uh, in a community that said just just believe and that's great. To, to a certain point, we do have to believe and we're not going to have the answers to everything. So it's important to recognize that. But at the same time, if you do have questions or if you or if you are like, I don't understand this, it's Jesus never said, just keep it to yourself, just, just shut up and just believe. No, it's encouraged to ask questions. But we also have to realize we're never going to have all the answers to everything. We don't want you to be ashamed of any question that you may have. So in the first week of our series last week, Pastor Nicole did a great job by answering two questions. These are the two questions that she answered. Why One, why are there so many different versions of the Bible? And she did a great job of answering that question. The second question was, what do you do when your dreams don't align with your responsibilities? And how do you know that your purpose in life is being fulfilled? So if, you, if you're like, oh, I missed that and I would like to find the answers to that question, you can go, you're already on our YouTube page now. You can just go back a week and you can watch um, uh, Pastor Nicole answer those questions. So if you missed those, go, go check those out or you can listen to our podcast and get the answers to, the, to those. So today, I'm going to answer two more questions for you. I'm going to try my best. And um, uh, they're, they're two very different questions. So here's, here's the first question, okay? Why, and I, this is, uh, let, let me just read it for you. Why do pastors make so much money? Um, the average pastor's salary in Maryland is $104,000. Jesus and the church, in parentheses, says to give away things slash money. So I'm starting off with a doozy. I'm coming in hard. <laughs> but to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure what the average salary of a pastor is in the state of Maryland. Um, I, I, did, I did some research, tried to answer this question. Okay, so here's, here's what I found when I just Googled what is the average salary of, of a pastor in Maryland. Salary.com says that the average salary is $104,000. So I assume that this is where the, the information for the question came from. Salary.com says $104,000 is the average salary for a pastor in Maryland. ZipRecruiter says that the average salary is $53,000. Indeed, 
says that the average salary is $68,000. The Economic Research Institute says that the average salary is $63,000 in the state of Maryland. We're talking about Maryland specifically. So I share that with you to say, I don't really know what the average salary of, of a pastor in Maryland is. It's kind of all over the place, but there was more to support that, that it's somewhere between fifty three to $68,000 seems to be more accurate than the $104,000. But regardless of all of that, it doesn't matter what other churches do. I cannot and will not answer for how other churches operate. I have no say in the way that other churches operate or, or, or what other churches do. All that I can do is speak for our church. That's it. So I'm not going to try to say, well, the mega church pastors who make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, I have no idea what their salary even is. And frankly, I don't even really care. Um, but all I can do as your pastor is speak for our church. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. And uh, we're, we're totally transparent. So I'm going to be 100% transparent and 100% honest with you. As your full-time lead pastor, my, my annual salary is $65,000 for the year. So the $104,000 doesn't apply to me by any means, <laughs> but the $65,000 is, is what I make. Um, and I, I'm also not the person who determines my salary. My salary is determined by a board of people in our church that have been elected by you, the owners of our church. Um, I, don't, I don't get to determine that. Now, I can choose to accept or decline the salary that is offered to me to take the position that I'm in. Um, but I can't walk in. I could walk in and say, hey, I demand $100,000 to be your pastor. But um, I don't have final say on whether or not that actually happens. I can either just accept or decline. So, But according to Maryland.gov, the state of Maryland, the average salary in Maryland across all vocations, this is not for pastors, but the average salary in the state of Maryland is $69,000. The, the nationwide average uh, across the entire United States is $63,000. So I fall right in the middle of that, me personally as, as your pastor. So I make slightly below the Maryland average and slightly above the national average. Um, so just being totally transparent and honest with you. Uh, I know some people are like, I don't want other people to know what I make. I'll be honest with you. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if you know what I make. It doesn't bother me one way or another. It doesn't affect things for me one way or another. But however, when it all comes down to it, okay, none of that matters. None of it matters. When it all comes down to it, how much you make or how much I make doesn't matter either according to scripture. Now I'm going to explain this a little bit further, okay? Um, the Bible also never states that, that a pastor should or shouldn't make a certain amount of money. Um, there is no like specific guideline that says, oh, the pastor needs to be within the nationwide average or the state average. Obviously, that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be be in the Bible. There's also nothing that says a pastor should not be paid. Now, there are some people who hold that belief, and that's totally fine. But there's nothing in Scripture that says that, that says Jesus said or that uh, or Paul said or anything that um, in the New Testament or Old Testament that says, hey, a pastor should not receive payment to, to hold this position. Yet, a pastor is always the most scrutinized person when it comes to their income. And I understand why. 
I'm not saying that it's absurd to ask this question. It's just the reality of it. I know that's the reality. I know that that comes with the territory of the position that I'm in. I understand that because the way that I am paid is based off of whether or not you tithe. That's where the money comes from for us to operate as a church. It's from your tithes. Now, that also doesn't mean that, oh, if you don't tithe, then all of a sudden we're going to collapse. Because um, the church is not... It's, it's kind of like a, a it's, it's kind of like a circulator, right? The church operates off of your tithe, but your tithe is not what is keeping the church afloat. Jesus is. God is. And whether or not you decide to tithe, it's not like Jesus is like, oh no, the church is not going to be able to operate because uh, the Joneses didn't give their tithe this month. What are we going to do? Right? Like that's not, God is bigger than your tithe. God is bigger than my money. So it's, it's, that's not, that's not the, the point here. But I understand the question and I understand the concern because there are a lot of churches where it's like, oh, the pastor is making a lot of money and it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. So Paul, for example, he chose not to take any money. When Paul was going around and teaching and, and preaching at different churches, he chose not to take any money because he did not want it to be an obstacle for the gospel. He also chose not to get married for the very same reason. So Paul's choice here is not a commandment from scripture or from Jesus. It's a personal choice that he made. Um, and uh, and that's, that's the route that he chose to go, but it is, it's not something that is required. So the question then is, what does the Bible actually say about how much money a person or a pastor should make? Is there a line? Is there, is there a limit? Is there an amount of money that we should not cross? And when is it? too much. And if those are the answers that, that you're looking for, you're not going to find it. That That's not listed in scripture. It's not like, hey, okay, X amount of money, boom, don't go beyond that. That's not listed in the, in the Bible. But there are a ton, a ton of verses in the Bible that talk about money. And here is the ultimate message of the Bible and money. Here's what the Bible says about money. God is not concerned about the size of your paycheck. He is concerned about the priorities of your heart. That's the theme throughout scripture when it comes to money. God doesn't care about how much or how little money you make. That's not what he's concerned about. What he's concerned about is where is your heart? Matthew 6, 24, this was Jesus talking. And he said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Proverbs 23, verses four through five says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, he who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous shall flourish as the green leaf. Two more. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. And Proverbs 62.10, if riches increase, do not set your hearts on them. And there are many, 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 many more beyond this, okay? So the question is not, am I making too much money? 
The question is not, are you making too much money? The question is, do I care too much about the amount of money that I make? That's, that's really the question. If we're talking about scripture, that's the question because we know this. Riches are dangerous. Money is dangerous. Wealth is dangerous. Very, very dangerous. It is so easy to become entirely consumed with making more and more and more money. And to many of us, pastors, pastors included, we can be more focused on the amount of money that we make rather than what God has called us to do. And, and if our priorities, if my priorities line up with, well, which church is going to pay me the most amount of money? I'll be that pastor. Then that's an issue. Then that, that's, a, that's a problem. And for that reason, the Bible warns us about the dangers of riches. John Wesley, who's a, who's a famous theologian, had a famous sermon that I wholeheartedly agree with. And it, it lines up with scripture. He, point, he drew three things from scripture that we should focus on when it comes to our money. The first thing is this, earn as much as you can. In your life, earn as much money as you can earn. Second thing, save as much money as you can save. And third thing, give away as much money as you can give away. And I think that is a biblical way of living. And I think it's a very practical way of living and a beneficial way of living for us in, in our lives. Earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, and give away as much as you can. When it comes to the amount of money that, that I make, um, I think that it's, it's all relative based on who you are, based on how much you make, based on where you come from, based on where we live um, in, in, in the state of Maryland and in the world, in the country. Um, it's all relative. And it's important to look at those sort of things. But like I said, none of it matters in the end. It's not like Jesus is up there saying, well, we, we got to make sure that you fit in the medium. Or and He doesn't care about any of that. What he cares about is where my heart is. That's the only thing that matters. If, if my heart is focused on being as rich as possible, then I'm lost. Bottom line. There's no other way around it. But I think that the one way that we can tell where a person's heart is, is by looking at how much a person gives and how much a church gives. That really shows the heart of a follower of Jesus. A, a follower of Jesus has to be generous because Jesus is generous. If we're not giving away, that's a problem. I'll be honest with you, as your pastor, I also tithe to this church because it is called to me to do that. But not only because I'm called to do it, but because I know it is the best way for me to live my life and the best way for our family to go about our finances and the best way for me to lead my family as, as the husband and as the dad. We should give. But we can even give beyond that. There's no limit to the amount of giving that we can do. There's no limit to that. We should go above and beyond. We should have generous hearts and we can never, 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 never outgive God. It's not like God said, whoa, whoa Shane, you gave too much. Oh, relax, okay? That's, that's, not how, that's not how it works. 
The more that we give, the more God blesses. The more we give, the more God blesses. And the more that our church gives, the more God blesses our church. So that's why we do things at our church like Be More Caring. That's why we do things at our church like Local Benevolence. That's why we do things at our church like, like giving to missions, by, by giving to the district that we're a part of, by helping people in need. That's why we do those things. Because God has called us to, but also because we are a community of people who are called to pick one another up. So yeah, the person who, who asked this question, which by the way, this is an anonymous question. I don't know, I don't know who wrote this question. But the person who said, Yeah, we should, isn't the church called to to give? Absolutely. Absolutely. We should be giving. And we are giving as a church. And if you are not giving in your personal life, I want to challenge you, no matter how big or small your paycheck is. No matter even if you're like scraping by week to week just to pay your bills, I promise you, the more you give, the more God blesses. Now, this is not a prosperity sermon, okay? I need to make that very important. We don't give $100 expecting $200 back. We give $100 because we want to bless others and because we want to line up with, with the attitude of Jesus Christ. That's why we give. And Jesus promises, if you trust me, I provide for you. And even when you don't trust me, I provide for you. So that's, that's, that's where this all falls. It's not about the amount of money that I as your pastor make or that you make. It's about what's the most important thing to you in your life. And for many of us, money is the most important thing in our lives. And that's when we get lost. All right, one more question. I've received a couple questions that, that were about the same topic, okay? So I got two, two different questions I'll read to you. The first, that they kind of go hand in hand, but I wanted to read them separately so that, so that you get the full picture. Here's a question. When we die, do we immediately go to the eternal location that we deserve, or do we stick around for a while and, in parentheses, nicely haunt our loved ones? <laughs> that was the first question. And then the second one that is similar, I'm going to combine them. It says, when people die, folks say things like, I know you're up there watching over me, but if souls don't get assessed until judgment day, where does your soul go when you die? Can you talk about what the Bible says is supposed to happen on judgment day? Are you in heaven at risk of being kicked out when judgment day comes or when Jesus comes back? So they kind of kind of work together a little bit. So from being a pastor, um, I've, I've been around many funerals and I've been around many um, grieving families that, that comes with the territory of uh, being a pastor. And it's not a fun place to be. It's one of the worst parts about my job, but it's also a, a um, it's, it's an opportunity to love on people who are hurting, which in that sense is a rewarding opportunity, knowing that, that you can help people who are in pain. That's what the church is all about and helping each other. So it's a, but it's a heartbreaking situation to be in and a difficult situation to be in. And many times in our mourning, when we lose a loved one or if someone close to you loses a loved one, in our mourning and in an attempt to make ourselves feel better in the moment, we may say things like, I know that uh, my uncle was watching over me. We may say things like, well, I guess God just needed another angel in heaven. And I understand those sentiments and I understand why they are spoken and why they, they are believed. But th this, is, this is the truth. And this is not meant to hurt your feelings. This is not meant to make you feel bad. But this is the truth. There's nothing in scripture to back up those statements. Nothing. Nowhere in scripture does it say 
that when we die, we are we stay here, our spirit stays here, and we and we watch over our loved ones, or we go to heaven and we watch over the life that our that our loved ones are living. There's nothing in scripture that says when we die, we get our we get our wings and we and we go to heaven and we're we are angels. There's nothing in scripture to back any of that up. I like I said, I get why it is said, and it is said with with a good heart, and it is spoken to to comfort people who are hurting and and who who are left here behind. But when our loved ones die, they're not nicely haunting us. Um, they they're not in the afterlife watching over us. They they don't they don't they're not your guardian angel that are now protecting you, watching over you in in your life. God. I think that the one of the toughest things that 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 we say is the comment of I guess God needed another angel. I think is more hurtful than anything. Because then it gives a false picture of who God is. Like God's up there in heaven going, "Well, we're one angel short. Let's go take Bob." That's not how that works. And and it's such a terrible picture of how God operates. It's not like God says, hey, I need him, so I'm ending his life or I'm ending her life and sorry the pain that it causes for you in your life, but I'm, I'm calling him up to heaven because I needed another angel or one short. That's, that's not how that works. And I, I want to challenge you to not say that to somebody who just lost a loved one because I think it hurts. I don't think it helps. Um, but there's nothing to, su- to suggest any of that. No scripture to back any of that up. We are... a there's nothing to suggest that even when we die, that we are even aware of things that are happening here on this earth. And I'm going to be honest with you, okay? When I die, I sure hope that I'm not up in heaven watching watching your stupid life here on earth. <laughs> I sure hope that's not the case. I don't want to be watching what's going on on earth. I just lived on earth for the entire life. I want to get out of here. I'm ready to be in heaven and I'm ready to celebrate with God. I I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I, I hope this, Nicole, is that offensive? I hope it's not offensive. <laughs> I really, that's not what I want to do. Like the idea of me leaving this earth and now having to watch, watch the life that other people are living and just, that, that doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. But like I said, there's nothing in scripture to back it up. Nothing at all. So then what happens? Are we judged immediately after we leave this earth? Do, do we have to wait until Jesus returns before we face judgment day? When we die, really this is what happens. When we die, we are ushered into eternity at that point. There's not a waiting period. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, and in Philippians 1, 23, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the minute that we die and we leave our body, we are ushered into eternity. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12, seven says, the dust returns to the ground. The dust is talking about our physical bodies, this body of mine. The dust returns to the ground from where it came and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And Jesus, he also had a conversation with a criminal hanging next to him on the cross. And when the criminal said, I believe that you are the son of God, I trust that you are who you say you are, Jesus' response to him was this, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So we don't go to purgatory. 
We're not in this waiting period. We're not, we're not waiting for Jesus to come back to, to, for, for, for his second, for, for Jesus to return, for his second coming, and then for everybody to be resurrected. That's not what we're waiting for. When we die, we are ushered into eternity, ushered into the presence of the Lord, or based on the way that we lived our lives, the lack of the presence of the Lord. When, when we leave this earth, that's what happens. Either we're with God or we're not with God, which in and of itself results in hell. That's, that's, those are the only options. But when Jesus does come back, it's for the living here on this earth in that moment. And the dead will only be reunited with their bodies to continue our eternal fate. So Jesus, when he comes back, it's, uh, if Jesus comes back right now in this moment, now we are facing judgment day right now. That's, that's what happens. The, our, our ancestors who have already died, they've already faced it. They've already, they're, they're in their eternal location. They've come before the throne of God and they've had to, and God said, did you know me or depart from me for I never knew you. And the only way to, to, to be in the presence of the Lord is to accept what Jesus has done in our lives. That's the only option, to accept the grace that God provides, that Jesus provides by his sacrifice on the cross. So when Jesus does come back, it's for the living here on earth. And the bodies that are left here, our physical bodies, are then healed, made perfect, and reunited with our spirits. And, uh, and that's where it goes on from there. But the Bible does not give a lot of information on what we're doing in eternity. It's not like there's, a, there's an agenda there's not like there's a schedule where it's like, oh, we got racquetball at three. That's not how, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that. But it does say that when we're in heaven, there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no heartache, there is no tears, there is no death. That is what scripture says about eternity. So the good news is you don't have to watch over those who you leave behind. The good news is you're not in a waiting period. And the better news is you are immediately uttered, uh, ushered into the presence of God where you don't have to deal with any of the garbage that we have to deal with here on this earth. That's the best news that you could receive. All we have to do is accept it. That's our choice. So I don't want you to, um, if you if you lost someone that you love, um, I, I don't want you to, to, to think that that person is waiting for whatever's going to happen next. Um, it's a nice sentiment to think that they're watching over you and that, that, they're, that they are guiding you. But the truth is, that's not how that works. The truth is, your loved one who passed away was never meant to carry that for you. The truth is, when your loved one does pass away, they don't receive powers that then influence you to live life in a different way. You are replacing God with your loved one. And that was never meant to happen. Never meant to happen. But instead, God is the one who can provide everything in your life. God is the one who provides healing in your life. God is the one who provides guidance and wisdom. Not your loved one who passed away recently or 10, 15, 20 years ago. When we die, we're with Jesus. That's what happens. 
So I pray that you know him. I pray that you understand the love and the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And I hope, I hope that the answers to both of these questions don't upset you. Uh, but if they do, they're coming from the Bible. All I'm trying to do is, is preach scripture. That's all that I care about. I don't care about preconceived notions. I don't care about culture. I don't care about any of that. I care about what the Holy Word of God says. And that's the information that I'm going to give you. And that's the information that Pastor Nicole gave you last week. So as we continue this series, if you think of more questions, shoot them my way. Um, and uh, we'll try to answer all the questions that we do. And, and if we get through this whole series and I didn't answer your question and, and, you, and you want me and you really want an answer, let me know and I'll, I can email you an answer um, from there. But we still got two more weeks at least. We may, we may even do a little bit longer, but we still got at least a couple more weeks of this series. I pray that, that you are doing well at home. Um, and I hope, that, uh, I hope that we'll see you back next week as we continue this series. But I'm going to close this out as we pray together. And then I uh, hope you have a great day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word that guides us and that leads us and that provides wisdom for us. Our hope and our prayer is that we are centered in your word, that we are centered in your heart and that our eyes are only fixed on you. Father, I pray that we get rid of any preconceived thoughts. I pray that we get rid of our any attitude that we may have or, or anything. We want to wipe all that clean and just seek you out and allow you to lead us every step of the way. So Father, I pray and I thank you for the people who are going to get baptized today and we can't wait to celebrate with them uh, here in the future. And we're looking forward to celebrating life that is new. And as we continue to move forward as a church, Father, we just want to see more people know you in a better and more real way. Thank you that you provide answers to questions. And I pray that the questions that we don't feel like we have answers to right now, I pray that they don't hold us back. But instead, that I pray that our faith and that our belief and that our trust in you overpowers everything else. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.